Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book called Proverbs. Not the Proverbs of Solomon, but a commentary on the Proverbs of Solomon by Charles Bridges. He was a leader of the Evangelical Party in the Church of England, died in 1869. We're on Proverbs chapter 8, and I encourage you to get your Bible out, because sometimes he doesn't quote the entire verse, and you'll want to see what words are being commented on. So open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? Now we listen to the call of heavenly wisdom, to the voice of the Son of God. We assume the speaker to be personal, essential wisdom. This description could not, without unnatural force, apply to an attribute it sets out his personal existence in verses 24 and 30. It sets out his personal characteristics. He is appointed from eternity for a distinct office, verse 23. He was the efficient cause in the work of creation, verses 27 to 30. He has sound judgment, verse 14, which being an attribute itself could not be the property of an attribute. He has strength, in verse 14, an independent quality, not a property of wisdom. He has personal authority, verses 15 and 16. He leads into the way of truth, verses 19 and 20. He enables people to inherit God's gift, verse 21. This passage also sets out his personal affections, hatred, verse 13, love in 17, joy in 30 and 31. He also gives personal promises in verse 21. He commands obedience as a matter of life and death, verses 32 to 36. Whether Solomon fully understood his own words may be an open question, but receiving the words as from God, weighing their natural meaning, and comparing them with other scriptures, we are certain that they describe not an attribute, but a person, eternal, omniscient, in the most endearing relationship to man, the Creator, Mediator, and Savior. Careless soul, will your divine call be ignored when the allurements of sin and vanity have the power to arrest your ear? Imagination cannot form to itself a more exquisite and affecting piece of scenery than that exhibited by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. In his seventh chapter, he introduces the world by its meretricious blandishments, alluring the unwary to the chambers of destruction. In the succeeding chapter, by way of perfect contrast, appears in the beauty and majesty of holiness the Son of the Father, the true and eternal wisdom of God, with all the tender love and affectionate concern of a parent, inviting men to the substantial joys and Enduring pleasures of immortality in the house of salvation. Now that last bit was from Bishop Horn. Verse 2. Can ignorance be pleaded? Does not wisdom call out? Her cry is not in the middle of the night or on the street corners, but on the heights along the way where the paths meet. Verse 3. She cries out beside the gates leading into the city. Has she not followed you to your place of business, of pleasure, and of sin? Verse 4. 
Does she not raise her voice to all mankind in the Bible, in the family, in the preached word? The loudness and the perseverance of the voice is that of an earnest friend who warns of danger. For would she have cried so loud or continued for so long if she had not loved your soul, if she had not known the wrath that was hanging over you, the hell that was before you? Verse 5. The great teacher calls the simple and the foolish to gain understanding. Verse 6. And where else can they hear such worthy things? They are worthy of the attention of princes as they are about our Lord's glorious person, his everlasting covenant, his rich and sovereign love to sinners. Verse 7. Often the truth of God, by the tradition of men or the subtlety of the father of lies, becomes virtually a principle of error. No wonder wisdom says, My lips detest wickedness. Verse 8. Scriptural difficulties belong not to the book itself, but to man's blind and corrupt heart. Verse 9. The carnal mind cannot understand the Bible any more than the blind can see the midday light of the sun. But it is easy to all who have a desire for it and who are not blinded by the prince of this world. Bishop uh, Mr. Layton says, What wonder if the unlettered and despised Christian knows more of the mysteries of heaven than the naturalists, though both wise and learned. Christ admits the believer into his heart, and Christ is in the heart of the Father. Wisdom not only opens up the truth, but opens men's hearts to receive it. There will be indeed great truths they cannot understand, but they will grasp important saving truths. Here, says Bishop Reynolds, the wisest Solomon may fetch jewels for ornament, and the poorest Lazarus bread for life. Verse 10, Come then, sinner, sit with one of old at the feet of your divine teacher. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. Verse 11, Enrich yourself with his satisfying and enduring treasures, for nothing you desire can compare with her. Will not God's children daily draw more abundantly from these treasures? Oh, let those treasures not be like the pomp of this world just looked on, but actively sought after and increasingly enjoyed. Verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. How adorable is the being here before us. Prudence is usually only thought to be a moral quality. Here we see that it is an attribute of deity. The humanity of our beloved Lord was filled with this perfection. With what divine acuteness of wisdom did he possess knowledge and discretion and so put his enemies to shame? Verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Such is the holiness of divine wisdom. She lives with prudence, but she cannot live with evil. And therefore, to fear the Lord, which is her very nature, is to hate evil. 
Thus, regarding pride in all its forms, arrogance of spirit, evil behavior, and perverse speech, the wisdom of God declares without reserve, I hate them. A proud disciple of a lowly Savior, how offensive is this contradiction to our Master. What a stumbling block this is to the world. Verse 14. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. This counsel is not, as with man, the fruit of deliberation, but divine intuition. It is not that it flows from God, but that he is himself, the essence, the fountainhead. It is not that he has understanding to order and govern the world. Rather, he is understanding. All is in him. Everything is derived from him. Verse 15. He proclaims himself to be the source of power and authority, no less than of counsel and judgment. King of kings and Lord of lords was the mysterious name written on his robe, Revelation 19.16. Yet his crown does not displace the regal diadem from the brow of earthly rulers, nor is the scepter to fall from their hands. These symbols of power are to be held, but in subordination to his own. By me, kings reign. This happens not only by permission, but by appointment. They bear his name and are stamped with his authority. Verse 16. By me, princes govern, and all nobles who rule on earth. Scripture lays down a truth that offends men. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Rulers are ministers of God, not servants of the people. And all things, all power in heaven and on earth, were delivered to our Lord by his Father. Verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Now look at the grace of this divine person toward those who love him. By nature, nobody is interested in God's grace. But his free grace first implants love in their hearts and then cheers them with the assurance of his own love. We love because we are drawn to God. We seek not by the impulse from within, but by the grace from above. And seeking we find. Verse 18. What do treasure seekers find? This fading world offers a poor portion, but those who seek find the riches and honor of eternity. That is why these riches are described as enduring wealth and prosperity. Verse 19. Is not this fruit better than fine gold? It surpasses choice silver. Verse 20. When our way is blocked, how valuable is wisdom's counsel, which leads to the way of righteousness. The sober-minded Christian is equally remote from formal service and enthusiastic delusion. The intelligent and spiritually-minded churchman is both separate from exclusiveness or idolatry on the one side and from indiscriminate Christianity on the other. He values highly his scriptural ordinances, but he does not mistake them for the substance of the gospel, and he does not substitute self-induced effervescence in their place. This is the via media, the 
Christian duty, consistency, and fruitfulness. Verse 21. Even now, from his royal bounty, does wisdom make their treasuries full. But an even more joyful day is yet to come when the redeemed will unite in their testimony that one Christ has abundantly filled us all. Verse 22. Only a perverse mind can suppose an attribute here. And so glorious are the rays of the eternal supreme deity, his distinct personality, his essential unity, that the mysterious, ever-blessed being now undoubtedly stands before us. To receive his own revelation of himself is our great privilege. How clear is his essential unity with the Father. The Lord brought me forth, for he was present with him in the heart of the deity. Every movement of the divine mind was infinitely known, every purpose of divine counsel eternally present and fully developed, the mode of his existence in the Godhead, and all this is all that's revealed of this inscrutable subject, is generation. He was brought forth, the only begotten Son, a, a term that it is much safer to adore than to expound expressing as it does what is unsearchable. Take care, says an old expositor, that in this generation we invent nothing temporal, carnal, or human, but rather let us worship this generation, beholding it by faith, and let us take heed from searching further than Scripture teaches us. Otherwise we should deserve to be blinded and punished for our great curiosity. No less clear is his eternal existence. He was in the beginning. He was the first of his works. He was destined and advanced to be the wisdom and power of the Father, light and life and all in all, both in the creation and the redemption of the world. That's what uh, Matthew Henry says. Verses 23 to 29. Connected with his eternity was his agency in the work of creation. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. The whole detail of the creative work is here laid out. Thus, uncreated wisdom displayed in clear and undoubted glory the divinity and eternity of wisdom, meaning thereby the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse 30. Next, he describes his unspeakable blessedness in communion with his Father. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. He was in the heart of his Father as he delighted in his presence. And so God is willing that by the Son we should approach him. In the Son we should honor and adore him and honor the Son as himself. Verse 31. But the wonder of wonders remains that he who was his Father's infinite delight and was infinitely delighting in him, should find his delight from all eternity in mankind. How wonderful that he should, as it were, long to be with us, rejoicing in his whole world. On this foundation is our confidence, rest, and security. Verse 32. Now then, my sons, listen to me. It is no mean and undeserving person who is calling. 
It is none other than the wisdom of God, the source of all light and knowledge, the King of kings, the loving rewarder of his children, the rich portion and unfailing guide of his people. Look at him once again in his divine glory as the only begotten Son of God the mediator in the everlasting counsels of redemption, the almighty creator of the world, the adorable friend of sinners. How should his divine majesty and condescending love endear his instruction to us? And yet, his promised blessing is only for those who carry out what they hear him say and and for those who keep his ways with godly fear, constancy, and perseverance keeping their eye on his ways, their hearts toward them and their feet in them. Yes, such people will be blessed. Verse 33, listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. What a happy moment it is when the cold, dead indifference is gone. For it is an unimaginable delight to take on such a yoke. Oh, my prince, my savior, You have founded your dominion on your blood. You rule only so that you may save. Take to yourself the glory and your victory. I am yours, not my own, forever. Verse 34. This is the hearing of faith, the voice of Christ in the inmost man, the impression of his word on the heart. The effect is untiring diligence and patient expectation, like the priest waiting at the doors of the tabernacle for the assured blessing, or those watching at the temple gates for his return from his holy ministrations. This willing and constant attendance on sacred ordinances indicates a healthy appetite for heavenly sustenance. Wisdom's child will always be familiar with wisdom's gates. Listen to the Lord's rebuke. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Revelation 3.2 The places where the gospel is faithfully preached are the gates and posts of the doors of wisdom at which Christ would have his disciples to wait daily. And may not Christians, consistently with other duties, redeem time for this waiting as well as the children of this world find time for their vain amusements, yet who do not neglect their one needful thing? Is not the time spared from attending on a weekday often spent in unprofitable visits or vain discourse? Should not ministers be instant in season and out of season in preaching the word? And should not the people be glad of an opportunity of hearing it? All of that last was from Scott. In verse 35, the smiles of God make heaven. And those who obtain the favor of the Lord have a heaven on earth, says Lawson. Set this expectation before your eyes in waiting on your God. I am seeking my life for my soul, you say. I will wait at the doorposts. I will miss no opportunity to receive the means of grace. I shall not wait in vain. And verse 36, If only the sinner, the careless sinner, and not the daring and ungodly only, would ponder how his heartless neglect of wisdom harms himself, How cruel he is to himself while he is despising his Savior. Every allurement of sin is the temptation of suicide, soul murder. When people grab hold of it, it is as if men were in love with damnation. All who hate me, 
love death. They love what will be their death and push away from them that would be their life. Sinners die because they want to die. And so they are left without any excuse. The eighth chapter of Proverbs, I trust it will be a blessing to you, looked at through the eyes of Mr. Charles Bridges. Thank you for listening. As always, I ask you to look around this site. So much is here. I trust that you will just look around yourself today and, and be blessed. This then is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 9th of March 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.